Good morning and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, we're going to talk about how to prioritize our problems and ensure that we don't catastrophize our entire life. Thanks so much for tuning in. So as we get started here, I am going to nerd out pretty hardcore. Neurodevelopment and how our brain works is, it's like the geekiest language I know. It's its something that brings me so much joy to get to parcel into it. And so my hope is that I can communicate well the two kind of psychoeducation pieces for today, because they really do lend a lot of understanding of what our brains are doing in the throes of anxiety and how hopefully we can disrupt it just based on some of the science that uh, we're currently aware of. If I am ever blessed enough to go and get my PhD, it's probably going to circle around some of this particular learning because I do think our brains are the just most fascinating things to dive into. And um, I just want to share a little bit of that with you. So as we talk about anxiety, anxiety is going to be an actual response going on in our brain to information that we're receiving. And so I'm going to try to paint a little bit of a visual here. And of course, this is auditory and it might not translate well. But imagine we're on a horizontal line. And to the left of the line, it says the word problems. And then there's a little arrow that says search for solutions. And then there's a little arrow that says solution. So we have problems. We identify a problem. We search for a solution. We arrive at a solution. When that happens, we don't get a buildup of anxiety necessarily because we have the resources to deal with whatever the problem is. Now, it runs a little bit differently when on that horizontal plane, it says problems, a little arrow, we search for solutions. And then after the second arrow, there's not a solution available. This is where we start to get a ramp up of distress. So it says problems, we seek out solutions, there's no solution. Now, what's happening in our brain, if we're not good at tolerating the distress of the unknown, our brain locks into kind of a spin cycle of there's no solution, I need to find a solution, but there's no solution, I need to find a solution, but there's no solution, I need to find a solution. As that's happening, there's a literal ramping up of energy going on in our brains. And this is the second nerd piece I'm going to throw in there. And that is we have beta waves in our brain and we have five levels of beta. And the way our brains work is there's going to be a rotations per second cycle. So if I'm at like zero to four rotations per second, that's pretty much in a sleep state. If I'm at five to eight rotations per second, that's going to put me more in a very um, lounging, unaffected state. Once I get to eight to 12 rotations per second, we're talking about, I'm starting to go into kind of some critical thinking, some processing. Once we get towards 13, we're starting to hit the beta waves. And this is talking about 13 rotations per second of brain activity. Now the beta waves go all the way from 13 per second up to 36 per second. And there's a giant array of anxiety that happens between 13 rotations per second and 36 rotations per second. And hopefully as I'm saying that, you can understand the vast difference of low-level anxiety, 13, 14, 15 rotations, up to really, really high anxiety, 
30, 31, 32 rotations, etc. And the more we get into that spin cycle of there's no solution, so I'm searching for solutions, there's no solution, so I'm searching for solutions, we are generating actual energy and we start to take our brain up through the beta waves. And what's a problem with that is as we ramp up with our anxiety, and again, this is a physiological energy that's showing up, as we ramp up, we start feeling less resourced to deal with whatever issues are going on. We sense a problem, we search for resources, we don't have them, our perception of risk goes up, so our brain starts to seek out more solution, so anxiety ramps up, so then we notice our resources are compromised, so our perception of risk goes up, and it's this vicious cycle where we're just generating energy and we're generating a lack of ability to deal with life as it is because we're stuck in a gridlock of solutions, need solutions, find solutions, don't have solutions, need solutions, can't find solutions, and it's this spin cycle that generates energy. And that's why so much of our therapy work tries to intervene on people's anxiety and work specifically on anxiety management. Not because anxiety is bad, but because anxiety will propel us to not think all that clearly and to be really compromised in our movements and in our uh, habits and in our choices because there's an actual buildup of energy that will impede clear rational thought. And so it's easy to go offline and find faulty solutions when we are feeling overwhelmed. When we talk about all of the vices, sorry if that was my black or white all or nothing thinking, but I really think it applies to most all of the vices at the very least. A lot of times when we talk about vices that are destructive, we've talked about someone who's found a solution that while it alleviates the anxiety, it doesn't deal with the problem that's actually going on in life. So when someone leans on alcohol as a crime, Yes, they found a solution. They don't feel as much of that anxiety, but they've made a life choice that actually doesn't solve the problems that are in front of them. So if someone feels disconnected in their relationship, what they really want is connection. But what they choose to reach for is alcohol, which creates a bigger bridge between them and the person with whom they're connecting. And so while it is a solution, it's not going to be something that addresses the actual need. And so a lot of times our faulty solutions are ill legitimate attempts to meet our needs because we get in this spin cycle and we just try to take the edge off and we try to do it in any way possible. So that's just kind of a basic understanding of what's going on with our minds. And the reason that matters is because I wanted to work with a client this week who is seeing her life in general as every part of her life is in the spin cycle. Every part of her life is a problem. There are struggles across the board. So in parenting, there's friction going on. In her job, there's friction going on. In the marriage, there's friction going on. In finances, there's friction going on. In some of her friendships, there's friction going on. Thing after thing is painting this picture of her staying trapped in this spin cycle. And the question is, how do we get someone out of that? And so I want to encourage you, if you feel like there are many pieces of your life that are just discombobulated or a mess right now, I would highly encourage you to try this strategy and, you know, share with me how it works. Share with others, if it does work for you, how you were able to create some movement in your anxiety. But what I had her do is two weeks ago when she left me, I said, here's your homework for this week. I need you to every day figure out which problem felt biggest. And then I want you to create a second column and write what solutions you found to cope with the problem. So solutions could be ways 
that she self-soothed. It could be ways that she self-medicated. It could be ways that she reached out and asked for help. It could be ways that she wrangled her own inner dialogue and was able to work through some of her anxiety on her own. It didn't matter. I wanted to see what is showing up in her world as problems and what is she reaching for as solutions. So when she came back in this last week, she gave me the rundown of all of the problems that she ran into and all of the solutions that she um, accumulated. And some of her solutions were like, break down and cry because today was awful. Well, that's okay. We can work with that. It was less about the solutions for me and more about what does she consider a problem? And so as we parceled through it, again, she has friction going on in a lot of different places. And some are at work and some are in her relationship and some are in her friendships and some are in her parenting and some are in the finances. So there's a second part to this task that I've given her. And so I've asked her over the next two weeks, I said, I'd like you to go through and I would like you to prioritize these problems. You came up with 12 of them because we were on a bi-weekly rotation, so I would see her every two weeks. And one of the days she didn't track, but outside of that, I believe she came up with 12 problems and solution sets. So I said, I would like you to take these 12 problems and I would like you to prioritize them. Tell me which is the number one worst that you've experienced and take it all the way through 12. And you're going to have to put together a hierarchy of problems. And I said, here's the thing. In the moment, each day, Every one of these felt really big and really important and like it was the worst thing going on. And I want to honor that and I want to acknowledge that every one of these is a problem in your life right now. I said, but they can't all be an emergency. Your body, your brain cannot sustain every one of these ruptures in life becoming an emergency and becoming something you have to solve in the moment. So what I'm asking her to do is to create a a hierarchy of which ones are most distressing all the way to which ones are least distressing. And then we're going to go through and parcel out which areas of her life are the biggest overall distressors for her. Once we know that, we can attack the biggest issues instead of taking energy and trying to fling it at all five or six areas that she's struggling with right now. And what we're also going to do is shift, hopefully, a little bit of her inner dialogue. So when she's able to write about an issue with mothering that came up, and I'm able to say, but wait a second, when we put together your list of the the worst issues to the, the best issues, you've overall handled the mothering part really well. Those were pretty low stress. You marked them at like an 11 or a 12 on your list of things that needed improvement or needed to be addressed. I'm going to argue that as much as you have insecurity in this area, this isn't going to be the biggest issue that we're running into because your self-talk is pretty okay here. You're dealing with the friction of mothering really well. You have some good strategies in place. You have some good help and some good support. So when you tell me that having a mothering fail, and I'm using air quotes here, just ruined your whole day and and levels you and becomes this big emergency, I'm going to remind you that in the scope of things, you're actually doing really, really well. And you have to be gentle on yourself in this particular area because if we make these low-level stressors into a crisis or into this giant 
energy expenditure related to anxiety, then over time, your body and your mind and your spirit, it bears the wear and tear of how you're speaking to yourself, even in areas that you're doing fairly well. So we've tried to establish this infrastructure of what demands our most attention and where can she ease up and decide, you know what, I'm actually doing pretty okay. And not every situation that is anxiety provoking, not everyone do I have to rise to the occasion and call it a crisis or decide that it is the worst thing possible and then get caught in the spin cycle of it's a problem, there's no solutions, it's a problem, there's no solutions. And so I'm working with her on reestablishing where her energy needs to go. It cannot go to family and job and finances and friendships. It can't go in all of those areas at the same time. So we have to prioritize where are the spaces I'm feeling most vulnerable. Let's work there. And the spaces I'm doing pretty a-okay, let's for right now call that a win. And when your anxiety shows up there, we're going to say, you know what? I know I'm doing my best. I know I have some good things worked in that area. So I'm not going to prioritize that right in this moment. Because the reality is, friends, we have limited energy. We cannot prioritize all of the things. Now, I will say one of the pieces, and I've talked about working in a faith context, one of the pieces that's really helpful is when we do run through that system of there's a problem, we solve problems, but there's no solution, we actually have the solution of the promises of scripture. So when there is a solution, we have provision happening. When there's not a solution, we have the promises happening. And that's why when we talk through body, mind, and spirit wellness, and why I do kind of lean towards an insistence with clients that while you don't need to be religious, eventually we need to grapple with the body, mind, and spirit interplay. One of the reasons for that is spirituality is another resource. It's a calm reassurance assurance that we're on the right track. We believe things unfold as they're supposed to. We don't sit there and thrash against life and push back against it as though there's no rhyme or reason. And so with my faith context clients, we do get to talk through the promises of scripture. And that is another resource that can help disrupt the intense cadence that comes with the anxiety loop. But one of my insistences here is that we have to do everything we can to disrupt the narrative that everything is awful, that there's this pervasive hopelessness that life won't get better. And so what I'm working on with this client is normalizing her distress, but then establishing what distress most warrants this type of reaction? What distress do I have to sit in and generate, and when I say have to, which one makes sense to sit in and generate energy and let my mind go into the spin cycle? Well, hopefully over time, she and I will work together where no big rupture causes that insistence that she stays in the spin cycle. But for right now, we've got to pull her out of every situation, throwing her into a spin cycle. We have to disrupt the narrative that everything is a problem. We have to disrupt the narrative that life is hopeless. And the reason why is that line of thinking will keep our mind locked into problem-solving mode. Not everything is a problem for us to solve. And every time we go into that mode, we're generating energy with our anxiety and that compromises our abilities to live well. That's where we're going to end it today. Hopefully I was able to come back to the the front end of this discussion and talk through it's very normal to have problems, to go into problem-solving mode, and to seek out solutions. That's very common. We all do it day-to-day. What's of interest is when there isn't a solution, what is our process? And if our process is prioritizing every rupture or every friction as a problem and turning it into an anxiety-inducing event, we really have to work on disrupting that because physiologically, it's awful for our bodies. It's awful for our brains. It's awful for our relationships. There's a lot of reason to disrupt that cycle. 
cycle. And as always, this is my pitch for if you don't know how to disrupt it, come see a therapist. We love working with people on anxiety management and on skill building, two of the very things one would need if and when life is being overwhelming. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is where we're going to leave it for the week. I hope to see you guys again next week. And as always, feel free to share, feel free to like, feel free to follow all of the things. It's much appreciated. And I hope you guys have a good rest of your week.